بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك We are in Surah Al-Ankabut, Surah number 29, Ayah number 26. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Fa'amana lahu lut, waqala inni muhajirun ila rabbi, innahu huwa al-aziz al-hakim. Wahabana lahu ishaq wa yaqub, waj'alna fi zurriyatihin nabuwata wal kitab, wa atinahu ajrahu fi dunya. وَإِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ لَمِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the tests and trials, tribulations that human beings go through, especially after they say they are Muslim and they believe in Allah. And he gives examples of uh, Muslims from the past, meaning the prophets, alayhi wasalam, the kind of trials and tribulations they went through. So... The first one was Nuh alayhi salam and the second one is Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim's nephew is Lut. So Lut was one of his followers uh, along with his wife. And they had to leave the place, the region where his father and his people were after he was uh, thrown into the fire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنَ لَهُ لُوتِ Lut believed in him and believed with him and for him. Lut alayhi salam is another Nabi of Allah who was also put through trials and tribulations and tests. So Nuh alayhi salam's test was slightly different from the test of Ibrahim and uh, his test was different from the test of Lut So he said that uh, I am now going to make hijrah uh, towards my Lord. Meaning Ibrahim said this with Lut and his wife Sarah. Indeed he is the overwhelming, he is the supreme and he is the wise. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does what he wants to do and whatever he does, he does through wisdom and authority. So this ayah now is inserted here in this surah to show human beings that Lut, now Nabuwa and prophethood was very similar to the prophethood of Ibrahim in that, that they went through very severe tests. And Allah does what He does. At the same time, to show human beings that there is a reward in the dunya also for those who are patient and those who persevere. Allah says, So we granted Ibrahim Ishaq and Yaqub as a favor from our side. We bestowed upon him. We granted him through our fadl. Yeah. The word wahaba means to grant without any reason. Means to give as a gift. Hiba. Yeah. The word hiba, as you know, means a gift. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran tells us that children are gifts. They are not earned. Yeah. 
وَهَبَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ ذُكُرُ وَيَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ الْإِنَاثَ That he grants his gifts to whomever he wants, male, and he gives to whomever he wants, female, any children. So this is a gift. So the idea that we earn our children is wrong. The idea that Allah gives our children as a gift to us is correct. So Allah says that Ibrahim was given his children and his grandchildren as a gift post-trial. Post-trial. Ishaq Yaqub. And then Ismail came and there was another trial through Ismail. So this is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah favored Ibrahim and that is the meaning of the rest of the ayah as they will explain inshallah. And then we made and placed uh, in his offspring only okay, the remainder of Nabuwa and the remainder of revelation. Okay, so Nabuwa is also a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and revelation is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we honored Ibrahim in this way that we made sure that every Nabi who comes after him will be from his offspring. And this ayah confirms that Ibrahim saw a dream in which he saw the stars in the heavens, all of them, thousands and thousands. So he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is the interpretation of this dream because every dream of a Nabi is wahi. So he needed interpretation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that those are the prophets from your offspring, the stars. The stars represent each uh, child of yours who will become a Nabi. And then thousands. As you know in the Banu Israel from Yaqub alayhi salam whose uh, alias is Israel, his children are known as Banu Israel. So in the Banu Israel, they had thousands of Anbiya, thousands. So anyway, so that is how we see this. So Allah placed now in his offspring alone, Nabuwa, prophethood and revelation. And this is another gift and favor from Allah. And then the conclusion is, So we gave him his ajr and reward in the dunya. What is the ajr Ibrahim received? Ya Ishaq and Yaqub and then Ismail. Oh, before that, Ismail. And the other ajr was that in his offspring there will be Anbiya. Okay. In his successive generations there will be Anbiya. So now this is now a very long, very long list of gifts Allah subhanahu wa gave Ibrahim. And this is Ali Ibrahim. This is the family of Ibrahim. Kama sallayta ala Ali Ibrahim. And kama barakta ala Ali Ibrahim. As you gave blessings to the Al, the family of Ibrahim, all those prophets. And as you gave barakah to Ali Ibrahim. So this is mentioned in our durood also in Salat that we see this uh, being represented, Allah's gift to Ibrahim alayhi salam. So these gifts, Ibrahim did not ask for which gifts the gifts of having prophets in his uh, in his in his uh, in his line uh, in his progeny he did ask for ismail right he did ask for ismail and he did ask for an offspring meaning ismail and then ishaq yaqub allah says nafila 
In another surah, Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah says, uh, يَعْقُوبَ نَافِرَةِ Ya'qub was given as a bonus. Not because he asked for Ya'qub. And then as a further bonus, all prophets came from his line. He had two lines, Banu Israel, who were now the Hebrews, who were from Ishaq, Ya'qub. And then he had the Banu Ismail. From the Banu Ismail, there were two prophets. One is Ismail himself, and the other is Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this is how Allah is saying, وَآتَيْنَاهُ أَجْرَهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا We gave him his reward in the dunya. This is what happens to people who pass the test in the dunya. Okay, so their, their legacy lives, and people continue to make dua for them. And so on. This is a huge ajr where it's long-lasting and almost eternal, even in the dunya. And indeed, he will be in the akhirah, from those who are righteous, and those who will be seen as pious, and those who will be in Jannah. So Allah subhanahu wa now gave the reward to Ibrahim salam in the dunya, and also in the akhirah. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً so in the Akhirah there is Hassan, in the dunya there is Hassan. Ibrahim al-Islam represents now the symbol of Ajr and Hassan in the dunya. And he also represents the symbol of Ajr and Hassan in the Akhirah, both Waqina Adab al-Nar, which is the eventual salvation. Okay. Right, this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors people when they hold firm to their values and their principles. Now, this is inserted in between the story of Lut. Yeah. It's very critical uh, now for us to understand Lut salam in today's context, uh, where he was sent to the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, where they were practicing the filthy uh, okay, lifestyle of homosexuality. The Quran explains reality. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the Qur'an and He knows He knows what's in front of them and what is behind them. So He knows what's going to happen in the world and based on His eternal absolute knowledge He sends guidance through Anbiya alayhi So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that no evil, no vice occurs on the earth except that we have prophets who came to reform those evils and vices. Lut was selected and chosen to reform this vice. So the greatest vice is shirk. Right? And Ibrahim and Nuh previously, they were sent to revive the tradition of monotheism and tawheed. Meaning there, there's an anomaly in your aqidah and there's an aberration in your understanding of God. So Allah sent these two prophets primarily to deal with that aberration. An aberration, aqeelah. When you don't understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, and you're guilty of shirk, where shirk becomes now a dhulm, an injustice against God. Lut represents uh, the anomaly that happens when you don't understand man. Right? When you don't understand man, meaning human beings, then you have Lut as your Nabi. 
So you don't understand human society. Uh, that in, in the human society, you cannot behave this way. Even though you may be, uh, on paper, a believer. Right? Meaning that you, you don't have an issue with aqidah uh, or tawheed per se, but you have an issue with human society and human behavior. So one of the most basic and unfortunately necessary instincts in human beings is the need okay, to, to be with a partner, the sexual need and the sexual right, which is necessary. And it is for that that we have nikah. And nikah means sunnah. Nikah is from my civilizational value, my tradition. Not that it's sunnah. Sometimes it's fard, as you know. Uh, to be married and to remain married. Lut's now mission was to reform people who did not understand the norms between human beings. Okay. How human beings should act, interact. Is there gender uh, now attraction or is there no gender attraction? Uh, so this is now the story of Lut and here we see that Lut's mission is also seen as a test. As the theme of the surah is about being tested because you say you believe. So now, the idea that if people are born this way, then why send a prophet to reform them? Right? So we say, if people are born as mushrik, why send Ibrahim? If people are born as mushrik, why send Nuh? Because the sin in aqidah is far greater than the sin in behavior. So we don't use that excuse and say that is in my DNA to be born this way and I, I cannot change my aqidah. Then we say the same thing, that it's not in your DNA to say that I'm born this way, I can only behave this way. No, it's a test. It's what? It's a test. So if you have these feelings, then those feelings are a test. Just as when you have feelings against the aqidah of tawheed, those feelings are also tests, and you have to pass the test in order to be eligible for salvation. If you don't pass the test, you will not be eligible for salvation. So the idea that you want to now, 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 now hitchhike on the back of this uh, ridiculous idea that we are born this way, it's in my DNA, we say forget about it. Why? Because you don't apply that rule with uh, people who are psychopaths and people who are serial killers and people who are guilty of terrorism. You don't give them that excuse that they were born that way. Why don't you give them that excuse? No, you take care of them. Why? Because you are undermining the social fabric of all human society. So this is one point. The other point is freedom. So the Qur'an does not acknowledge the freedom of human beings to remain mushrik or kafir. Likewise, the Qur'an does not acknowledge the freedom for human beings to remain fasiq and sinners in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That freedom is not acknowledged by the Qur'an at all. That you're free to do what you want. You're free in the sense that it's your choice. You're not free in the sense that God will not judge you and will not punish you. There's a cause and there's an effect. If you are free to say, I may drink poison and nobody in the world can stop me, then you say, yes, you are free, but the effects will be what? 
most probably you die. Right. Likewise, say that I have a freedom to choose this lifestyle or that lifestyle, and say, yes, you are free, but the effect will be what? You will die as a society. You will die as human beings. You will be left alone in the world where no one will be with you. And that is what we see in the world today. So it's not an issue of legal freedom. It's an issue of religious freedom within the religion. So if we do not, as Muslims, subscribe to the freedom of someone who is now a polytheist, an idol worshipper, and someone who goes against the rules of Tawheed and Fitrah, then we are not going to give that freedom to people who want to choose a lifestyle that is totally against what Allah wants. And that is now how we see this now. Obviously, you might find this to be a bit more of a hard line, uh, Bible preaching uh, kind of priest also from the Republican Party who have not reformed their ideas and ideals yet. But we're not comparing ourselves to them. We have our own scripture. We have our own revelation that came to the Prophet Muhammad We have our own original ideals and principles about Islam and about the freedom of religion. This is what we believe in as our aqidah. That it is wrong. So the bottom line is that it is haram. It is sinful. And that should be our response. Are they allowed to do what they want to do in this country? Sure they are. Just as we are allowed to do what we want to do in this country, as long as it's not illegal. Right? So it's not a legal issue. The issue is whether it is sinful or not. Okay. So our position is that homosexuality is a sin. It is haram. Allah will deal with you the way he wants to deal with you. On the day of judgment in this country, if you are allowed to behave that way, that's up to you and your country. You and your law, but it is haram. It is a munkar. Okay, it is sinful and it is immoral. That's my position, and I'm using my freedom to state my position. Just as you're using your freedom to state your position, and we should not back down from that. Okay? However, we cannot do anything that's illegal, and that's at your, at your own risk. So if you say the wrong thing at work, eh, that's on you. That's not on Islam. Be careful what you say. That's unfortunate. But your position in your aqidah must be, it is haram, it is sinful. And that's the end of the story. Why? Because Allah has revealed that to us. This is not a subject to conjecture. It is revelation. And this is the meaning of Allah subhanahu wa saying to Ibrahim that we place this nabuwa and revelation in his offspring. So all the anbiya of the Banu Israel, meaning that side of the line, the Banu Ismail, and also this side of the line, the Banu Israel, they both believed in Nabuwa and Kitab Revelation. They both hold these values to be now eternal and not subject to distortion and not subject to misguidance and so on. All right. وَلُوتًا إِذْ قَالَ لِقَوْمِهِ إِنَّكُمْ لَتَأْتُونَ الْفَاحِشَةَ مَا سَبَقَكُمْ بِهَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ مِنَ الْعَالَمِينَ And remember the time when Lut said oh, to his people that indeed you are coming across a evil, an evil and a lewdness, immorality that no one before you ever engaged in from the worlds. Meaning you are setting the precedent for something that is a total distortion of human behavior 
Nobody before you has ever done this. That's the first thing. And that if human beings as a society were to be now uh, judged by what human beings have been doing since Adam and Islam, then you don't fit the bill. You're, you're a total aberration. You're a total anomaly. Nobody before you has ever said or suggested that as a civilizational value, as a societal value, people should be left uh, to themselves to decide what type of lifestyle and what type of life partner they seek to live and they seek to choose. Uh, Lut makes that very clear. And again, for Muslims, this is a revelation. This is not conjecture. This is not, we're not using sociology, anthropology, and all of that good stuff to say this is what we believe in. We are using what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. It is much easier for us. It is not contextual. It is acontextual. Is it that you are approaching men, meaning men approaching men? And upon that, you have other vices and evils also. And that is that you cut off trade and you do not allow people to travel. So they're also terrorists. Right? When you don't allow people to travel, that's terrorism. And in your meetings, in your nadi, in your clubs, in your gatherings, you come with abomination and everything that is immoral in the eyes of other human beings. This is now Lut's mission, to reform the practices, the societal practices, and the civilizational values of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, his mission is very different from the mission of Ibrahim, which was to eradicate shirk and idol worshipping from people, as did Nuh. So Lut saw his mission as a test, just as Ibrahim saw his mission as a test, and Nuh saw his mission as a test. So what did now the people of Lut say? As mentioned here in this surah, فَمَا كَانَ جَوَابَ قَوْمِهِ إِلَّا أَنْ قَالُوا اُتِنَا بِعَذَابِ اللَّهِ إِنْ كُنْتَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ In another ayah, they said that you must drive this person out because he seeks to be pure. إِنَّهُ أُنَاسٍ يَتَطَهَّرُونَ That they are a group of people who want to be pure. We don't like this purity. We want to be filthy. We have the right to be filthy because we are ruling. Here they are saying that if you are true, then you must bring Allah's punishment on us. Meaning they are cursing themselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not punish people until the message has been delivered. So even here the message has to be delivered. This is wrong, this is an aberration, this is an anomaly. This goes against the brain of human behavior. And I'm here to warn you. And if you don't uh, take heed, Allah will punish you. So the people said, okay, punish us. So this is how we see. In short, the story of Lut being so relevant to the discussions we have. Uh, now some of you say, well, it's very difficult now to tell our children that this is this way. It's a norm now. So no, it's not difficult. Tell them it is haram. Period. No discussion. No ifs and buts. It is haram. It is sinful. You will be punished if uh, you do not make tawbah from this. Will the American government punish you? No. They might celebrate you. They won't punish you. Right, but that's the difference. Why are you Muslim? Are you Muslim because the American government says you are Muslim? Or are you Muslim because Muslims say you are Muslim? Allah says you are Muslim. So who is your authority? 
So life in this world is not regulated by a political system. Life in this world for a Muslim is regulated by the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by how close you are to Allah. If you want to be close to Allah, then this lifestyle is antithetical to that. You cannot draw close to Allah by behaving this way. You don't have that choice as a Muslim any more than you have a choice of eating pork. Did you say you can eat pork as a Muslim? If you believe you may eat pork as a Muslim, you're not a Muslim. If for some reason you end up eating pork out of laziness or negligence, then you're still a Muslim, but you're a sinner. That's the difference. So if Muslims, God forbid, start to believe that it's okay, then they are no longer Muslim. That's the danger. It's an aqidah issue. So you have to be careful how you speak to your children also and members of your own family and the community they look in principle it is wrong it is haram it is forbidden and what you do with your life that is totally up to you we're not here as vigilantes we're not going to impose any kind of law upon you against what is the law of the land but it has to be stated that way very clearly just as you will say that worshiping idols is wrong you can't say we can tolerate them also no you can tolerate them because the law of the land tolerates them. Right? So there are many things that are legal in this country that people abhor, but it is tolerated legally, but it is not tolerated necessarily socially, as in the case of tolerating Muslims in this country. It is the law of the land that Muslims should be tolerated, or blacks should be tolerated. But does that happen? No. As we all know. <laughs> You gotta see the difference between the woods and the trees, I guess. So, uh, being tolerated is one thing, and being right is a different thing. So, not everything that is legal is moral, right? And you can have many examples if you understand American law. Many legal issues in this country uh, may be condemned as immoral by non-Americans. The whole issue of capital punishment in this country, is condemned in Europe. Absolutely condemned. This is barbaric behavior, they say. When in America you have the greatest amount of executions, legal executions, state executions, occur more here, collectively, than in the rest of the world put together. State of Texas, for instance. Now, that is legal. But other people in the West... In Europe and other places in the world, they say it is immoral, it is barbaric. So the idea that something becomes legal equals something becomes moral, it is, a, it is a myth. That's a fallacy. You cannot believe and think that way. So likewise, if people say, meaning Muslims, that homosexuality has become legal in this country, therefore it must be moral, that's a fallacy. No. You have your own standards of how to evaluate what is moral and what is immoral. And that evaluation comes from the Qur'an Sunnah, from the guidance of the Prophets and Muhammad Wasallam. that as a civilization, we see this as an act of immorality, al-fahisha. That is our position. What do you tell your children? You tell them exactly this. Okay. Hands down. No compromises. But some of my friends are this one. Maybe they shouldn't be your friends. <laughs> don't say anything that is illegal, right? And don't behave in such a way that you might be expelled from the school 
but in your heart and mind you must believe it is wrong. Right? You must be careful how you point this out. Not only the children, is more about the adults, I think, now, unfortunately. In the Muslim community, they are acquiescing to the situation and they are resigning to the fact that since we have made it legal, it must be moral. And that is where the fallacy starts. قَالَ رَبِّنْ سُرْنِي عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْمُفْسِدِينَ Lut said, Allah help me against those people who are corruptors, those people who cause commotion and, and trouble in the world. Help me against them because they are about to be punished. In the meantime, Ibrahim salam is now in uh, Upper Palestine, in the Levant area, and he's continuing to make da'wah, and uh, he is approached by a group of angels. وَلَمَّا جَاءَتْ رُسُلُنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ بِالْبُشْرَى قَالُوا إِنَّا مُهْلِكُوا أَهْلِ هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ إِنَّ أَهْلَهَا كَانُوا ظَالِمِينَ And then remember the time as this is happening that our messengers came to Ibrahim with glad tidings. Ibrahim salam now wanted a son from Sarah after he had been given a son from Hajar who was Ismail. So this group of angels came to Ibrahim salam and he did not recognize who they were but they looked a bit foreign to him and he felt that apprehension. They don't look uh, what they seem to be. He sensed they weren't human. We just mentioned another surah of the Quran. So they came for two reasons. Their mission, number one, was to inform Ibrahim that he will have a son through Sarah. And that was Ishaq. The second mission was to inform Ibrahim that the people of Lut, they were going to be destroyed. So this is what they say here. They say, we are about to destroy the people of this city meaning Sodom and Gomorrah. Indeed, its people and its inhabitants are very unjust and they are oppressive. So now here, the Quran deems their lifestyle as being oppressive and dhulm, unjust. Ibrahim knowing that Lut, his own nephew, is there, he fears for him and he says that the Lut is amongst them. They respond, قَالُوا نَحْنُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ فِيهَا We are much more aware of who they are in that town, in that city. We know everybody. And we are not going to punish him. لَنُنَجِّيَنَّهُ أَهْلَهُ إِلَّا مْرَأَتَهُ كَانَتْ مِنَ الْغَابِرِينَ Indeed, we will most certainly deliver him and his family, except his wife, because she will be amongst those who remain behind. She will choose not to be with you, at the last moment, and she'll remain behind with those people. She had befriended uh, most of the women in the city, and she did not say too much against them. Sometimes not speaking is also dhulm. Okay, that's why you must inform your children and people of your family members that this is wrong. If you don't, then you'll be held accountable also, which is mentioned in another surah about the Banu Israel, the people of Dawud, and those who were guilty of the sin committed by the people of the Sabbath, Ashab Sabt. So here Allah subhanahu says through the angels that you don't have to worry about Lut and his family. Everybody will be saved because they believe in Allah and they believe this is wrong except for his wife who did not come on board totally 
although she was a believer. وَلَمَّا أَنْ جَاءَتْ رُسُلُنَا لُوطًا سِيئَ بِهِمْ وَضَاقَ بِهِمْ ذَرْعًا وَقَالُوا لَا تَخَفْ وَلَا تَحْزَنْ إِنَّا مُنَجُّوكَ وَأَهْلَكَ إِلَّا مَرْأَتَكَ كَانْتْ مِنَ الْغَابِرِينَ So when the messengers approached Lut, he was troubled. وَضَاقَ بِهِمْ ذَرْعًا And on their account, he was now very, very, almost, what can we say, feeling asphyxiating. Asphyxiated because he was now uh, worried about what's going to happen to him and his children and the people who are now with him, believing with him and in him. So they said, La don't fear and don't grieve. Fear not, for you will not be punished, and grieve not because your family will be saved. That's what the angels now say. Indeed, we are going to save you and deliver you and your people, except for your wife who will remain amongst those who remain behind and not exit the town and city with you. إِنَّا مُنْزِلُونَ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِ هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ رِجْزًا مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسِقُونَ Indeed, we are about to bring down upon this uh, town people okay, a fury from the sky, a a punishment from the sky because of their sins, because of what they do is evil. Fisk is to sin and to commit evil. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns them and warns Lut So Lut warns them and they don't take heed and they don't believe in him. And then the heavens pour down with uh, missiles of stone. This is how clay stones and they, they, they are precisely uh, guided to attack every individual who did not make tawbah. And this is seen as a divine punishment upon the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the rule is that if a punishment has been meted out to any people before the Prophet ﷺ for any sin or crime, then that is haram. That's the standard. Had these people not been punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we might have conceded, okay, is not a big deal. But since punishment from the heavens came upon these people, now it becomes very grave and very serious that it remains very, very much haram in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the eyes of the prophets and the eyes of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So this is how we see now the sharia being very forthright and very consistent with the rules of the cosmos. وَلَقَدْ تَرَكْنَا مِنْهَا آيَةٌ بَيَّنَةٌ لِقَوْمِ يَعْقِلُونَ And indeed in that, in that town, in that city, we have left behind a very open sign for those who understand. For those who understand, they know that this is divine punishment and there were pillars of salt everywhere. And with that salt came the Dead Sea. A very open, vivid sign. So the, the fiqh of that is that you cannot use products from the Dead Sea because that is from punishment, from adab of Allah. You can't go near there. There's further proof of this in the story of the Prophet ﷺ when they passed by the people of Thamud. The remnants of the Thamud are in northern Arabia. The Prophet ﷺ on one of his missions went towards those people and that valley 
and he told them, rush and hurry. Hurry away from this uh, place where Allah's punishment has come. So where you know definitively that Allah's punishment has come, you cannot be there. According to the Sunnah and according to these ayat, you cannot benefit from the products of that place either. That is ayatun bayyinah. A very clear proof that this is punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where the water doesn't do what it usually does. Let's change the nature of the water there. The water came upon the salt, as you know, the Dead Sea. This is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending us guidance after guidance. So you had Nuh alayhi salam as an example, and you had Ibrahim alayhi salam as an example. Well, Nuh alayhi salam's now example is that Allah saved humanity and then restored humanity through the 80 odd believers who came with him and restored also the species on earth through the species that he gathered on the ship and that was his ajr, basically. So Nuh alayhi salam is known as Abu al-Bashar al-Thani, okay, the second Adam, okay, the father of human beings. The second. Ibrahim alayhi salam is known as the Imam al muwahhideen and the Imam al tawhid the people who have Tawheed, he is seen as their uh, you know, patron because he is the one who understood Tawheed even though there was no trace of Nabuwa around him and his ajr was that he was given Ishaq and Yaqub and Ismail and all the other prophets who came in the world after him came through his progeny. Lut is here and uh, his ajr was that he was delivered and nobody else knows what happened to him. He rejoined Ibrahim and lived with him and continued his mission with other people. Now we have other prophets who also serve as uh, you know, patrons of people who are tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. So Allah now says, the fourth group of people, and towards Madian we sent to them their brother Shu'aib, Shu'aib being from one of the Arab tribes, and he lived in a place called Madian. He was not from the Banu Ismail. And Madian was a very strategic town and city. It was at the crossroads of Asia, Africa, and also Europe, where people from across the Mediterranean Sea would be able to come down from the Mediterranean into Madian, which is there somewhere in the Sinai Desert or north of that. And people from Africa would come there, and people crossing in from Asia would come there. So it was a strategic post where people would come and do trade and business. And it was a very prosperous, very lucrative town and city, and people had wealth like we don't know of today. So much wealth and prosperity. Shu'aib al-Islam was born and raised in that community society, and he was also deemed to be one of the most successful businessmen in the future, and people saw him to be, you know, a person who is going to lead the society and community towards more prosperity economically. He was also gifted with the ability to be the best orator. The Prophet ﷺ calls Shaib Khatib al-Anbiya. He is a Khatib from the Prophets. That his ability to, to deliver lectures and to reason and to make a pitch was phenomenal. So, unfortunately, in the eyes of his people, he uh, disappointed them because he claimed he was a Nabi, and rightfully so. 
So he was sent to a group of people who were the economists of the time and the financiers of the time, but they also were guilty of treachery and oppression, manipulation, exploitation, and uh, what's known as monopoly. He said to his people, worship Allah, and then yearn for, long for the last day, because that's where you're going to end up. And if you yearn to meet Allah, Allah will yearn to meet you. And once that happens, you'll be given the garden of bliss where you will not need to work or exploit for living. You will just live because Allah wants you to live. Permanently and eternally, inshallah. So he gave them this promise that you have the world here, you have the means of, uh, you know, manipulating and controlling people's resources and finances, very much like the people of Salih before them. The Quran compares the two. That uh, the Madian and Thamud were very similar in their evil practices that were economic practices. So now you are tested with a people who have now an aberration in understanding wealth. Lut was tested with the people who had an aberration in understanding human beings as a society, interaction amongst human beings at that base level. Tribal Islam is delivered to a people who had problems with understanding finance and economics, that how do you manage finances and economics within society, that you don't have the right to exploit and manipulate and do this and that. It's your wealth, because that was one of the contentions that they had in another surah, in Surah Hud. Mm-hmm. That your salat, shaib, and your religion and your worship, that's telling you that we should not worship this way, the way our forefathers did, and that we should not do with our wealth what we want to do. Yeah. So now this financial uh, freedom, the way you had uh, sexual freedom with loot people, here they were guilty of this. Now it's my money, I earned it, I should be allowed to do what I want to do. The Quran says no. You don't have that freedom either. It has to be regulated by fitrah. It has to be regulated by justice. It has to be regulated by altruism. It cannot be manipulated so that you become the giants. <coughs> and you monopolize the resources and sources of earning and living for people. You cannot do that. So economic domination at the, the you know, expense of other people is not allowed. So you can imagine the uproar that tribe caused you know, if you were to be in a gathering of the hundred most rich people in America and you made this pitch. How would they feel about you? Especially if you were from them. The tribe was from the people who had money. He wasn't an entity. He was not somebody on the, from the street who came saying, I don't think this is wrong. No, they knew Shuraib. They, 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 they were hoping that Shuraib would lead them to further economic prosperity. Uh, he comes back to them and says, no, I'm going to lead you towards eternal prosperity, which is done. Say, Come again, what is this? <laughs> we didn't expect this from you. Maybe some priest. Who are you? 
you are supposed to be the best thing that happened to us and now you are saying that we are no good and you are good. So don't preach morality to us because we have money. So you can see where money doesn't agree with morality, especially nowadays. Anyway, so that was the mission of Shuaib, that he wanted to reform the aberration in the minds of people vis-a-vis their understanding of finance and wealth that uh, they, they were not given that freedom by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is Allah's money and wealth that he gives you. You are a trustee of that money that you have earned. If you, Allah didn't give you your hands, your feet, and your brain, and your senses, then you would not be able to earn anything, period. And so all what you earn is because of Allah's uh, previous ni'am, in'amat, and blessings on you. And it is through those gifts that you're able to earn. So you cannot say that you have the freedom to do what you want to do with your money. Anyway, that's the philosophy behind it. And the fiqh behind it is in the books of fiqh, in the books of what is known as the rules of engagement in business and commerce and trade in uh, Islamic law. Right. But here we say, and don't go around the earth causing fitna and mischief and trouble. Meaning there are many ways to cause trouble amongst human beings. The economic way is one of the major ways. Economic manipulation is one of the unfortunate disasters of modern society where your money talks and your money speaks. And those who have will always exploit those who don't have. And so they'll be proud of it. And they'll say, I made it big because I was able to acquire this wealth through scheming, deceiving, cheating, lying, and all of that good stuff. Honesty amongst uh, people who trade and do business is very rare. That is why the Prophet said that At-Tajir al-Amin al-Sadiq, that the person who is a Tajir, a businessman, and he is a trustworthy, and he is truthful, will be amongst those who are Nabiyyin al-Siddiqeen, al-Anbiya al-Siddiqeen, why? Because it is very difficult not to lie when you want to make money. The temptation is just too much. I see a deal. Now, if I tweak my statement this way, I'll get more money. But if I be, if I'm honest, I won't get any money. So let's now tweak it and earn more money because that temptation is not easy to control and to override. So that's why the Prophet gave glad tidings to those people who are traders and those who remained honest in their trade, as, uh, as you know, he was once a trader also. This is one thing. The other thing is that wealth uh, comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wealth does not come necessarily only from trading. So the Prophet said, doing trade, there is barakah in doing trade. Al-barakah okay? tijara And so, so tijara means doing trade and commerce is very good for the ummah. Uh, but you must remain truthful and honest. Shuaib is now imparting this knowledge and trying to reform his community that they have to remain honest with God and honest with themselves. And then they will be in Jannah, inshallah. But they did not do so. They rejected him. So a sonar effect caused an earthquake and they heard the effect of the sound and they were taken by this sound, okay, which produced the earthquake. 
فأصبحوا في دارهم جاثمين and you they they became now uh, lying or kneeling on their knees okay here he says prostrating which also okay because they invariably they would have fallen in their homes so the the people of Shaib who lived a lavish lifestyle in homes and in a very pleasant uh, country and they had everything that Allah wanted to give them and they were sophisticated they were orderly they were organized because that's how eco- economics work but at the same time they were ruthless and they were exploiting the needs of other people and they would not supply where the demand was there and they would only supply to those who had the money and that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes them just the way he punished the Thamud before them I just mentioned to you the Thamud mm-hmm. so in the, the people of Thamud Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused them to die through a shriek, a cry and they heard the sound okay. so they, they died because of the sonar effect uh, directly and these people they died because of the result of the sonar effect which was a sudden earthquake anyway and that is the difference between the two. Both have evil uh, effects upon them, with them. And uh, we see this as a sign and warning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that at a societal level and as a civ- at a civilizational level, we cannot agree with economic exploitation and manipul- manipulation. And we cannot let the people who have money control and dictate what are the needs and demands of those who don't have money, there has to be a relationship between the two, and then those who have and those who don't have must come close together in the name of Allah. First and foremost through the deen of Allah, meaning the tawheed of Allah, and in the issue that they believe Muhammad is the last Nabi, that is the uniting platform. So Muslims do not see each other as being uh, favored or not so favored because the dunya is now arbitrary. That they see themselves as being favored uh, because they are on the same deen, on the same platform of najat and salvation. This is also a test. In modern days, Muslims fall into the same trap and they see themselves either with the, in the category of those who have or in the category of those who don't have. They don't see themselves as brothers offering salat together in one row independent of their social status, of their financial status, and so on. That's why the ibadat bring you together. Money doesn't bring you together. Politics don't bring you together. What brings you together is ibadat. So you do your hajj together, you fast together. You're obligated to give zakat if you have money. You're not obligated if you don't have money. Well, you're no less a Muslim if you don't pay zakat. And you're not a better Muslim if you do pay zakat. And your salat, as you know, you do together in jama'ah. So now the, the ibadat, they unify, and the dunya, they disuni- the dunya disunites. And that is a test for Muslims. Mm-hmm. So we must keep what unites us together, and it must become monolithic. Okay. And we must let what disunites us be what it is, and not be the standard for our success as a community, as a society, as a civilization. So you cannot judge Muslims because they are poor, any more than you can judge Muslims because they are rich. That is a test. It's a mental test. More of an approach towards the, how to improve the state of the ummah. 
So the state of the ummah is that as long as you maintain your ibadat and you say that the ibadat bring us together one platform, you are okay. So if there is a poor community where the masjid is just a mud hut and there's no carpet, you still do the salat the same way where the masjid is lavish and you have beautiful carpet. That doesn't change. There you remain uniform. What changes is the structure of the masjid. Now you can't say this one masjid is better than the other. They're all masjid of Allah. The masjid unite us. To say this is a better masjid than that, that's ridiculous. There's a better masjid where your salat is you know, accepted, which would be the haramain. Right? Those are the better masjid. You get more reward for doing your salat. What I'm saying is that there is room, definitely, for asceticism. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that mentally, at the aqidah level, we must appropriate unity where it is. And where is unity? In the ibadat. And where there is no unity, we must not fall over or bend over backwards to say, we need to be united on this thing. No, because your mind and my mind, they're very different. Your understanding of economics and my understanding of economics are very different. And your understanding of politics and my understanding of politics are very different. So that can be diverse. Okay? Whereas the ibadat has to be monolithic. That is what unites us. And we are still an ummah because of that. On top of that, you can have political prosperity, economic prosperity, educational, academic prosperity, which comes along, but only on the back of the unity and ibadat. That is how you develop your ummah. Okay? So you put the horse before the cart. Not the cart before the horse, because the ibadat is what is now moving you. Now, if you endanger the horse, it doesn't matter what kind of cart you have. Who drives and what drives the ummah? What drives the ummah is the five pillars, basically. Right. That's why the definition of Islam in the hadith of Jibreel had to be the five pillars, because that's what's going to drive you. Everything else behind you is going to be driven and pulled by what's in front of you. So Shaib al-Islam is saying the same thing, that you must understand that your eternal bliss and prosperity is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. When he allows you to enter Jannah, that is what drives you and should drive you as a community. If you have that in mind, then your wealth will become a ni'mah for you. If you don't have that in mind, then your wealth will become a curse no matter how much you have. doesn't matter what, how much you have. So these are four examples so far of uh, people and communities who have been tried and tested either because they said they believe or because they said they did not believe. Wallahu alam. Allah give us all the tawfiq to do what pleases Allah the most. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayyar 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 khayyar